Welcome to Tasso Tech Talks. I'm Ben Greenstone, the Managing Director of Tasso Advisory. On this podcast, your hosts, me and my brilliant Tasso Advisory colleagues, will discuss all things policy and politics with our expert guests. We'll go in-depth on the big issues for tech companies, exploring what might happen and what it all means. Across the world, politicians, policymakers and regulators are increasingly focused on technology and the companies behind it. This poses a major risk to tech companies' reputations, their ability to operate and their profitability. It also offers opportunity to shape the environment in a way that works for them and their business and to be known for what they do well. As they say in DC, if you aren't at the table, you're on the menu. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Tasso Tech Talks podcast. I'm your host, George Osborne. Tech policy has soared up the media agenda over the past few years. It's leapt from the depths of the business and tech sections to leading on the front pages and even the evening news. So why has this happened? What does it mean in terms of how tech policy is covered and the way it shapes the media agenda? And what can your business do to make sure its voice is right at the heart of the conversation? Joining me on this month's show to discuss this and much more is Matt Honeycomb-Foster, UK News Editor for Politico, and Shona Ghosh, Deputy Executive Editor at Insiders UK Bureau. Thank you both for joining us. Hello. Great to be here. It's great to have you both here. And I'm going to go and turn to Matt first, because I think it's fair to say Politico's interest in tech policy, it's exploded over the past year, especially with Politico ProTech. So what's been driving that internally? What's been pushing it up the agenda in terms of Politico's interest? It's a really good question. So we, as you say, we have launched our own Politico Pro Tech UK product this year. So we are really going big on this. And partly what we try to do at Politico is really plug into the capital's we serve. So London, Brussels, kind of Paris, Berlin, Washington. And frankly, we are reflecting this back at them. Like they are beginning to properly grapple with a lot of tech issues that have been crowded out by just general political noise over the past few years. It feels like if there's sort of one policy issue they can all agree to talk about, it is technology and the impact of technology on on the societies that they, they govern. So it's partly that politicians themselves are really thinking about this stuff and grappling with it. And I think we felt the need for some slightly more in-depth and tailored coverage that got under the hood a little bit. A lot of what is out there can be quite, I don't want to say simplistic, it's probably a bit mean, but we wanted to get nerdy about it. We like getting nerdy about stuff and the people we talk to are getting equally nerdy. So that's why we dived into it. Exactly. It's a perfect opportunity for the people who are nerdy about tech policy to get out to the other people who are nerdy about tech policy, which is fantastic. And Shona, from your perspective, you know, I know that we were discussing how tech policies seemingly risen up insiders wider agenda this year. What's been the impact there in terms of the way that you've been covering both news around tech, but also just more around business generally? Yeah, so Insider is not nerdy about policy in the way that our friends and stablemates at Politico are, but that's that's great. It's it's just a sort of different kind of audience. Um, Insider's audience is primarily, but not entirely, American. So we often view things through that lens. We talk about a global audience, but you know, realistically, I think that is a US first business audience. So we do have to try and make things interesting to Americans. But increasingly, European policy, tech policy is interesting to the Americans because it's impacting American businesses, it's changing how they do things, and downstream impacts are on American consumers um, because of laws or restrictions perhaps often set by the UK or Europe. So in the end, little old lawmakers in, in Europe who normally haven't necessarily had a huge amount of 
impact on these big American companies actually can change the experience of tech companies for American consumers. So um, at a high level, it, it is becoming more relevant for that reason. What we have to try and do is is find a way of getting out of the, the theory of the changes and explaining it explaining the impact of policy in a really tangible way to our audience. So with, you know, GDPR, for example, none of our readers are excited by the phrase GDPR. None of them really cared or sort of clicked on any stories about that. But as soon as the law actually came into being and began to have an impact, people became really interested in, you know, I think American consumers are a lot more interested in internet privacy than they used to be. And I think that is a direct influence of, you know, the way Europe handles data privacy. Um, I think you can see that change. So our readership really wants to have things explained in a very tangible way. How is this going to impact me? Rather than necessarily sort of knowing the nitty gritty of the, the policy or, you know, what the actual legislation looks like. So that's how we think about um, coverage in the audience. And then in terms of covering business generally, it's, you know, what are the impacts on the way, particularly American tech companies, but often it can be European and Chinese tech companies as well. You know, how does policy impact the way they do business? And it increasingly, it's quite a big impact, you know, as we see from, for example, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, effectively issuing a sort of global block on Microsoft's acquisition of Activision. And I can tell you that normally insiders, American editors do not wake up and DM me about the CMA or anything they're up to. But I got a flood of DMs that morning going, what is happening? How has this happened? This is huge news. Can't believe they blocked this deal. So there is growing interest definitely on the way that uh, policy set in Europe and the UK is impacting um, American businesses. And that's that tends to be our lens on it. That's fascinating. And I think it really ties into as well, you know, one of the questions that I really want to throw towards Matt as well, which is why tech policy seems to have risen up the agenda so significantly. Because exactly as you're saying, Shona, uh, you know, even I'd say four or five years ago, I can remember that it was very much covered in quite a technical way. And yes, when it maybe got through to the other side of the equation, when it came into law, the coverage might shift. But now what we're seeing is, you know, AI regulation and the potential implications around that is literally on the front pages of the papers. It's leading the six o'clock news. It's really starting to dominate the agenda. Now, Matt, is that just a result of a particular administration's priorities? Or do you think that's actually reflective of wider, greater interest in the role that technology plays within uh, both society and the wider political environment? I think it's a mixture of things. So I would say, you know, at a very basic level, technology is kind of inis- inescapable. You know, people are I think the pandemic accelerated this, that people are having to deal with and think about technology and its implications every every single day. You know, tech was the thing that kept us all connected and kept us going during a, a, a massive crisis. But also tech policy cuts across some of the other really massive stories in the world at the moment. You look at something like, you know, uh, the, the way the West is sort of squaring up against China, um, looking to kind of diversify supply chains when it comes to microchips, the race on artificial intelligence, which, I mean, let's be clear, like is a race between global powers at this point to harness that. Um, These big kind of big power stories, tech is right at the heart of them. And they are stories where capitals are looking to each other to see, they want to see who's moving first. And what one watchdog does really matters to how the others think about these things. So they they are stories where you can absolutely feed in these much wider global trends and find technology right at the heart of them. And I think for me, that's that's one of the reasons they've uh, it shot up the agenda. And then as you touched on, you know, there are individual administrations that really want to make a push on this. We had here in the UK, maybe the last government that really talked about 
tech in a big way was the Cameron government in 2010. And they were talking about the kind of digital transformation of government and making government itself more technologically adept and um, better for the citizens. That got largely sidelined by a lot of political chaos here in the UK. But as things have touch wood, settled down a little bit in the last few months, this really is the number one thing that the Sunak government wants to talk about. It's something they can show themselves to be forward-facing, optimistic about. They can galvanise global support in a way that perhaps Britain has struggled to do post-Brexit. Post so it is a combination of tech being inescapable, these things cutting across everything we, we really do and talk about now, and individual politicians going, actually, there's a real space for us to talk about this now. Oh, fantastic. And I, I think as well, what's really interesting too, is like when you're speaking about Sunak and the administration there wanting to talk about it, also then naturally creates further coverage on top because Labour and the opposition parties then go and find their position. They're looking for the space. They're looking to try and occupy their position within that debate. And so it's one of those things where it can often become that kind of self-fulfilling cycle to it. And similarly, you know, mentioning the, the regulatory face-off, say, say over the uh, CMA approach towards Activision Blizzard and, and Microsoft, uh, you know, it led to a sort of a good, the bad, the ugly style standoff between the FTC, the EU and the, and the, the CMA, just all having a look at this and waiting to see who goes first. But I think actually that in itself shows an interesting dynamic around the changing face of tech policy where, you know, yes, I mean, fantastic in terms of Politico protects, very nerdy coverage. So you get at one end of the funnel, you can really appeal to the nerds. But then out the other side, you start getting many more of these kind of dramatic, almost sort of, I'm, I'm going to say sort of personal or interpersonal stories where you get that sense of what's going on, what's the drama, what's the gossip. And so, you know, Shona, in terms of the way that you've been seeing sort of tech policy change in terms of your environment, you've, you've already alluded to it a little bit, but do you see that kind of tricky balance between, yes, the policy itself is becoming even more technical, even more interesting at that end, but also still trying to make it interesting and accessible to a more general audience? Yeah, I think often, well, I think a couple of things. One is, you know, to answer your earlier point about tech policy being on the front pages of newspapers, I would agree with every point that Matt made. And at a higher level, would we'll say that's reflective of where power lies and increasingly power lies with tech companies um, and countries that host these tech companies. So I sort of do think there is going to be a before chat GPT and after chat GPT sort of way of looking at what's happened in the last 12 months and the fact that OpenAI, chat GPT's maker, Google, which is, has built its own rival or multiple rivals really internally, Microsoft, etc., are all American companies, really adds to, I think, America's technological geopolitical power, hence this point about sort of countries trying to harness AI and there is a race, but that has been really kickstarted by America, I would say. And the same is happening in Europe. You can just very quickly see huge amounts of venture capital money, which has been frozen really for the last 12 months, suddenly flooding into European AI startups because we want to build our own one. So I think that the tech policy going up the agenda in this way is, is reflective of where power lies. And it is often with these private American companies that are innovating in this way and creating sort of these mind-blowing new technologies and um, then releasing them unexpectedly into the world with uh, some quite interesting ramifications. So yes, there's, I think there's questions of where power lies there, who has it, um, and is it 
it's it's not really with governments i would say it's it's with private companies so so there's a sort of move to control and guardrail that so that's one facet that we think about a lot and the second is you know to to your point about gossip and drama is that there's a lot of very interesting personalities i'm i'm less familiar with the personalities perhaps on the tech policy side but the ceos were talking about sam altman you know on his what can only be described as a policy world tour just now, um, where he went, you know, visited Europe, but Israel, India, etc., met with world leaders, um, which is astonishing, really, that, you know, a startup CEO is, is sort of fated in this way, shows how important that, as I say, this sort of post-chat GPT moment is. So we often think about things in terms of personalities, what they're up to, how they're talking about these issues. And that's often the way in for our readers is, you know, what is this mad perspective or actual billionaire kind of mad scientist character kind of doing, thinking, etc. And that's often our way into covering these issues. Absolutely. Because I think a, a personality can bring something to life in a way that by itself, maybe you'd be struggling to get as much interest. But if you can have a charismatic or interesting figurehead to hang a story around, uh, you know, maybe we're jumping ahead to the tip section. But this seems to be a useful thing to bring up and remind people of the value of having someone who can really share that story. But I think this, yeah, definitely. I think this goes into a, a final quick question for Matt before we get into the tip side of things. And it's, what is this changing uh, environment around tech policy doing to the actual political debate itself as well? Uh, because I think a lot of people who will be listening to this will be trying to work out to what extent is this all just noise and chatter and bluster? And to what extent is it actually shaping the mood music amongst policymakers? Because you know, for me, maybe this is my bias as a communications professional, is that I'm very much saying that getting the mood music right is pretty key to getting them to dance the way you want to. But I, I don't know what you think, Matt. Do you think that the, the way that tech policy coverage is changing to allow for both the geekification in the political sphere and also for that wider level of interest, is that really having a big impact on the political debate? You made a really good point earlier about the fact that, um, you know, we've sort of seen the opposition here in the UK engage with a lot of this stuff lately because the government itself is is talking about it and that sort of forces its hands. You know, we had Keir Starmer at London Tech Week giving his first kind of intervention on AI this week and, you know, a little bit sort of mocked on Twitter for being quite sort of wide ranging and blue, blue skies thinking rather than on the specifics. But, but these things begin in those ways and then... The, the thing to just point out in the UK is we have possibly maximum, you know, 18 months until the next general election. The scope for actual meaningful legislation and real policy development on a lot of this stuff is now quite limited. But there are manifestos to be drawn up and parties will face questions as the election nears on exactly where they stand on some of these hot button issues, particularly things like artificial intelligence, which are just regularly now on the front page of all the papers they read with kind of doom laden warnings like parties have to think about these things now. So I think, you know, as we get nearer to the election, we'll see some of these positions crystallized. Right now they're talking about it and making noises. And I mean this is this is the perhaps not to skip ahead to the tips, but this is the time to get your thoughts to people and get your expertise and takes over to politicians who are scrambling to fill those manifestos. Absolutely. And Shona, just, just to as well throw the similar question to you about how that may be sort of changing the political or the business debate. You know, one of the things that I'm really sort of aware of, and I think it's having seen from some of my own experience around uh, previously working in the video games industry and suddenly a massive explosion of interest in it is, yes, it's great because you get many, many more people interested, but that means you also have to take more time to explain exactly what's going on to avoid perhaps oversimplification or to perhaps avoid a lack of nuance in storytelling. 
Have you been finding that people have been coming to you to talk about these issues to try and make sure that you get that fully nuanced and developed understanding of a tech policy issue out there? And how have you been trying to capture that as well in terms of your work? I would say there has been more activity there for sure. Um, But most of the people we interact with know that we're not necessarily primarily speaking to a British readership, although we do have a large British readership, but it's mostly how can I convey this message to the Americans? That that will be why politicos or policy people or tech companies speak to us. So I would say there hasn't been a nece- necessarily a huge uptick, but certainly certainly more as it's risen up the news agenda. And in terms of explaining, yes, absolutely. More internally at Insider than anything else, where, as I say, suddenly something that the EU or the UK does has ramifications for American tech companies. And previously, editors, reporters who took really minimal interest in, you know, our, our, our smaller bureau compared to the New York mothership want to know, actually, can you write an explanatory piece on GDPR? Which, again, you know, the, the fact that I would be writing about a European law or the online safety bill in the UK, um, you know, I'm increasingly getting questions about that. So yes, internally, definitely getting getting asked more. And then externally, perhaps a little bit, you know, you find that other media outlets like the BBC, they have the same issue as us as trying to translate what can be quite obscure tech policy to a mainstream audience. So they do want to know what the online safety bill means. And that is often hard to do in the space of 30 seconds, because it is a large piece of uh, messy legislation. So yeah, I I think people do really hunger for that explanation as, as it grows more complicated and as the surrounding issues are more complicated in terms of people's privacy, um, how data is transferred between nations, all these issues. Yeah, I think if you can explain the online safety bill within 30 seconds, you should be given some sort of award. So congratulations for that. Uh, but I, I think as well, just a, a really important point there around the practicalities of how things are reported and how information can be shared as well between teams. Because sometimes that person who you might be talking to, they may not be the person who actually ends up working on a story immediately. But when all of their colleagues are gathering around going, so what is going on with generative AI and regulation? Having those great relationships can have that that kind of meaningful impact in other less seen tangible ways. But we are getting into the final bit of the podcast, which is to get some tips. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw to you both to ask for your big top tip, but also your big pet peeve when it comes to people pitching to you stories around tech policy and media. So I'm going to go to Matt first because Shona's looking just a little bit panicked right now. So I'm just going to give her a, a little bit of time to go and have a think about that pet peeve. But so Matt, Matt, what's what's your tip and what, what's the one thing that annoys you? So I would say my, my top tip is help us explain complicated things. That is what journalists want most of the time is somebody who can help them make sense of a a kind of fast-changing and complex policy area. It's probably their job to then distill that into something that readers can get their heads around and that is is interesting enough. And that probably leads on to the next point, which is don't be super frustrated if things seem like they've been overly simplified in a write-up, because part of our job is to sort of do a translation service between the incredibly complex roles that people do in tech and then a readership that might be coming at this from a completely kind of a different a different world so help us explain if you've got a really interesting and innovative thing you're you're doing that you think you can crisply and concisely explain to us kind of how that works how that matters how it ties into political priorities or things that a government is already talking about or absolutely should be talking about then go for it just expect it might not come out exactly as it went into the system just because of the uh, 
the law of kind of headlines in concise copy. So don't expect that perfectly crisply corporate language to to appear exactly as uh, you think it would appear in the publication. Very wise, very sage advice. And Shona, I've, I've given you a chance now. Do you want to go off with your pet peeve first and then your top tip? Sure. I mean, the pet peeve relates to the top tip, so I'll sort of bleed them together. But pet peeve is being over technical. Um, and again, I'm just going to speak from the insider perspective, which is if you look at our publication, if you read any of our stories, we are not hyper-technical. Our whole thing is explaining things simply to a, a mass readership and often an American readership, so they are not going to understand these highly technical, highly region-specific details that, that people might want to talk about. And, you know, an example would be with the online safety bill is, you know, we're not going to get into the details of, of UK ministerial arguments over specific aspects of the online safety bill. But we do want to know about how this impacts Meta and WhatsApp operating in Europe and how it currently seems to want to break encryption potentially. That's the kind of thing we're interested in. But, you know, commenting on, as I say, some of the ministerial back and forth is less interesting to us. Top tip would be say things in a really interesting and or controversial way if you can, because this stuff is kind of dull, like on the face of it. When it's in in law form, it is just like hard to make it tangible to people. Um, It's much easier when you can say, well, WhatsApp has threatened to leave the UK because uh, XYZ will break encryption. It's much harder, you know, if you're saying, well, your data is being protected when it moves from a European server to a US server. Like, there's just no one cares. But if you can say, you know, we're protecting you from US spies, a little more interesting. So I think find interesting ways, controversial ways even to say something in a way that feels comfortable. Obviously, it's great to be highly accurate. And often that does mean being technical, but find a way to be accurate while also being interesting and and saying it in a, in a quotable way. And that is much more likely to grab a journalist's attention, I would say. Fantastic. Well, look, We've got to say an enormous thank you to both of you for joining the the podcast. So thank you very much for coming along to this. And uh, I'm afraid to say that's all from this month's episode of Tasso Tech Talks. If you'd like to hear more from our guests, you can follow Shona on Twitter at Shona Ghosh, Matt over at Matt H underscore Foster, and you can follow me at George Osborne. No, not that one. But do remember that if you are enjoying the show, then make sure to subscribe to it to wherever you get your podcasts uh, and leave a nice review as well to help more people discover the show. If you want to keep up with Tasso Advisor on social media, make sure to search for us on LinkedIn and Twitter and give us a follow. And if you want to talk to us about how we can help your business deal with some of these communication issues, you can drop us an email to hello at tassoadvisory.com. That's it for now. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you again soon.